selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Hello and welcome back to the Spikes podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and with me this week, as ever, we have Spikes editor Tom Slater. Hello. And joining us this week, we have Spiked contributor Candice Holdsworth. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Coming up on today's show, we have Joe Biden's visit to Ireland... Elon Musk versus the BBC, and the curious rise of Dylan Mulvaney. So Joe Biden touched down in Northern Ireland earlier this week to pay tribute to the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. As we speak, he's in the Republic of Ireland, and I think it's fair to say he's enjoying that leg of the trip rather more. He's gone on this sort of who-do-you-think-you-are style tour, uh, visiting distant relatives, um, 10,000th degree cousins or whatever it might be. Um, Candice, I mean, what have you made of, of, of this version of Joe Biden? You know, he's been very keen to say that he's Irish. Um, if anyone doesn't know that by now, they must be living under a rock. I mean, what do you make of that kind of thing? I think we've all been waiting for the Biden gaffe, and he mm. did not disappoint with confusing <laughs> the black and tans with a rugby team, which was just an amazing moment, even better than Rashid Sunuk, which I didn't think he could top, thinking that was Rishi Sunak's name. Um, yeah, I think Democrat voters in the US are very attuned to the Irish-American com communities. I mean, they will try very hard to appeal to them politically. And I think Biden's been doing that. I mean, how deeply he actually engages with Irish history is unclear. Mm. Clearly by his black and tan statement, maybe not that deeply. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Tom, obviously there's... Um, he. he his Irishness has become a bit of a factor in the debate over Brexit. And particularly, it's caused a lot of antagonisms in Northern Ireland with mm -hmm. the DUP, who have even said, essentially, Arlene Foster, the former DUP leader, was saying he's anti-British. Mm -hmm. He's on the side of um, republicanism. He can't be trusted as a neutral actor mm -hmm. when coming over to talk to us. Well, I think the fact that he can't be trusted as a neutral actor on questions of Brexit and Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland's post-Brexit status you know, has everything to, as much to do with him just being a kind of quite anti-populist figure as much as his own kind of plastic paddy mm. uh, personality that he likes to present. Now, obviously, you can understand why the DUP have that particular perspective in terms of his own political background, shall we say. Mm. Um, also, as you say, how much he clings to his kind of Irish Catholic 
identity positions he's taken over the years and so on. But um, I, th I think the thing that's um, really defined his kind of interventions in the whole Brexit debate, which have been very significant. I mean, when yeah. he came into the White House in 2020, they were sort of openly briefing that they were going to make sure that Boris Johnson's government ripped up what was then the Internal Markets Bill. Um, in 2021, do you remember the, what was it called, the day marsh? I forget the technical term for it, but yeah, the diplomatic kind of dressing down yeah. <laughs> that um, Britain was given over the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, Biden had previously said that a trade deal with the US uh, wasn't going anywhere. It would be contingent on the question of Northern Ireland being sorted out. And we all know what he meant by that, which was to capitulate to this EU arrangement, uh, which even under this new Windsor framework, Northern Ireland still sits under. I think he really defines himself not just as an Irish as an Irish Catholic. That's obviously a very core cool part of it. He has been on this sort of extended family holiday, as you say, uh, but also as a sort of anti-populist mm. as much as anything else. I mean, I saw some people were digging up those quotes he gave to a podcast with Nick Clegg back in 2018 <laughs> when he talked very openly about how the people in Britain who voted for Brexit had been fooled by demagogues, effectively. Mm. So I think he sees this as his role. I think that's bedeviled this process all the way through. And we've seen that again this week. Although it is striking that the Northern Ireland portion of his trip was incredibly short. I think he was there for 15 hours and supposedly half of that he would have been asleep. Yeah. Which I think tells you something about where we are. Was it partly to avoid just making more gaffes? He, he left the gaffes until he got to the Republic of Ireland, right. it seems. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Candice, one of the things that he has been doing on his tour has been essentially pressurising um, the unionists in Northern Ireland to sign up to the Windsor framework. Now, you know, they have pretty good reasons for disliking the Windsor framework, right? I mean, particularly the, the threat it has poses to sovereignty. Yes, I think people have just been telling them, get over it, just sign up to it. This is the best you're going to get. But you can completely understand why they take the position they do, because really it is isolating Northern Ireland. Mm. It is making them into a completely different regime. And you could see, and I mean, over time, I could imagine it will just become more and more and more integrated with the EU because obviously businesses need certainty. They won't be able to challenge every bit of legislation that comes in. And I think the DUP are being quite far-sighted in this. But I think there are a lot of people over here who dislike Brexit anyway. Of course, Joe Biden, who will just dismiss their concerns and won't take them seriously at all. And that's why I can see Arlene Foster takes the view she does of Joe Biden and doesn't feel like he's politically neutral. I think very few people have shown true empathy and understanding with the DUP's position on this issue. Yeah, and, and you kind of get that sense that the Joe Biden essentially hindering those kind of blackmail um, mm. to, um, to Northern Ireland saying, you know, we will invest $6 billion in Northern Ireland if mm. you get Stormont back up and running, if you sign up to uh, the Windsor framework. Yeah, it was, a bit, it was a bit more carrot than stick, at least in terms of presentation. He's also pretty restrained in terms of what he said when he addressed mm. the Ulster University and so on. Uh, there wasn't this kind of explicit call to the unionists that some people feared because it, I mean, you even had Tony Blair pretty much advising him in public via the media to calm that down because it wasn't yeah. going to go down at all well. Um, but the, you know, the, the context for this, even the context for how the Windsor framework came about was this Joe Biden visit. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the timetable was more or less set by the fact that he wanted to come to Northern Ireland to mark the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement to pretend that was primarily his doing, presumably. <laughs> um, to you know, sort of bask in that particular um, that particular anniversary, and then head off down to the south to go and talk to his distant relatives. Um, and I think in that, in a small way, but in a very significant way, you see how 
the way in which the Democrats in America have tried to sort of meddle with the Brexit process throughout the course of the past few years. They're really trying to impose quite explicitly, I think, this kind of moral imperialism on Brexit Britain as this kind of restive, Trumpist, mm. um, populist sort of upstart nation, which is doing all of these horrendous things. And they really need to be brought to heel. And I think in a, in a way, this, this visit, the timing of it, the fact that Rishi Sunak's deal had to be negotiated in order for this visit to take place reminds you that they're pretty comfortable in exercising that. They get plaudits from yeah. the liberal media I mean, for doing that. And that is pretty striking. I it think. stretches right back to pre-Brexit as well. Mm. I mean, you think of the Obama, the back infamous the Obama queue. comments, you're going to be at the back of the queue for any trade deal if you, you, know, if you ignore our advice and go for, for Brexit. But finally, Tom, I mean, is it worth saying something just on the Good Friday Agreement? Because obviously everyone is, is right to celebrate you know, the peace but the, there's still a lot of political dysfunction mm -hmm. in Northern Ireland, not least shown by the fact that Stormont is not up and running and mm -hmm. power sharing has broken down. No, exactly. And I think what we're seeing is the sort of dysfunctions playing out before us. Everyone tries to pin this on Brexit. But, you know, the Good Friday Agreement left a lot of unfinished business. It did try to kind of freeze the kind of uh, the antagonisms within Northern Ireland in Aspic. Um, it also provided for a situation in which as soon as you had one particular community wasn't happy with the direction of travel, just the entire governance of Northern Ireland collapses. This was always a deeply flawed agreement. Um, and what people are now trying to do is trying to pin the political dysfunction we're seeing purely on Brexit. Mm. Boris Johnson wasn't such an asshole and everything would be absolutely fine. Uh, but these are long running problems that even a lot of people who've been involved in the peace process and so on have recognised for a very long time. So there's always been this tendency to kind of weaponise the GFA against Brexit. Yeah. Um, very scandalously, I think, particularly from a lot of leading Democrats in, in the US. But I think what we're seeing here is a product of the uh, the unfinished business, the dysfunctions that were built into the agreement in, in the first place. And to just reflexively blame that on vote leave or whatever is uh, ridiculous, I think. Whether you're doing high level diplomacy like Joe Biden, going out on the town or even just leaving the house, one thing that always matters is making sure you look the best. Of course, the best way to do this is with a Harry's shaving and skincare routine. Harry's makes it incredibly easy to stay looking fresh. For starters, their razors are great quality. The weighted handle and five blade cartridge make shaving feel extra smooth. And they work even better when you use Harry's foaming shave gel. But that's not all Harry's has to offer. They've also got a whole range of high quality skincare products. Lately, I've started using Harry's Brightening Eye Cream, and that really does take away those sort of black spots under the eyes, hiding the effects of all those late nights and early mornings. My favorite thing about Harry's is that all of these great products are regularly delivered straight to my door. Thanks to Harry's subscription service, I never have to remember to buy my shaving gear or creams whenever they run out. And if I ever want to adjust or switch up my products, I can make changes directly from my account page. So take it from me. With a Harry's subscription, looking your best is no longer a chore. The best way to get started is with a Harry's trial set, which Spiked podcast viewers and listeners can now get for free. And it includes Harry's fantastic brightening eye cream to keep you looking even sharper and fresher than ever. So make sure to support our podcast and start your own skincare journey by redeeming a free Harry's trial set. All you cover is the £3.95 for delivery. Just head to harrys.com slash spiked and have your trial set and brightening eye cream delivered straight to your door. That's harrys.com slash spiked. So imagine you're the BBC journalist, uh, James Clayton. You've just secured this interview with Elon Musk, CEO of Twitter, second richest man in the world, probably the most eccentric businessman in the world. 
Um, and then it doesn't quite go to plan, I think it's fair to say. Um, let's see what... It all kind of goes a bit south when he asks about hate speech. Let's have a little look. To describe a hateful thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, just content that will solicit a reaction, something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist, those kinds of those kinds of things. So you think if I'm, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? I, no, is that I'm what not, you're saying? I'm not saying anything. I'm saying. Well, I'm just curious. What you, I'm, just, I'm trying to say what you mean by hateful con content, and I'm asking for specific examples. Um, and if and you just said that if something is slightly sexist, that's hateful content. Does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me. You've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more, it, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's but, what I'm asking for examples. Can, right. you, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't need, I, I, honestly, you I don't. You can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why, because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore, because I, I just don't particularly like it. But you said actually, a lot, of people, a lot of people are quite similar. I, 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 only, well, well, I only look well, at my Well, hang on a second. You said you've following. seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example, not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks. And I, well, I, then I how did you, you see the hateful content? content? Because I've been, I've been using, I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen the you, for you hateful content. I'm asking for one example. Right, and you I, can't I, give a single one. And, and, and I'm saying, I, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well, that's a false. No, what I could just lied. Candice, I mean, what do you think this this tells us? What, is, what does it tell us about the BBC? What does it tell us about their attitude to misinformation, to hate speech, that kind of thing? I mean, it was just so absurd when Elon Musk took over Twitter and people claimed just suddenly, all of a sudden, as soon as he took over, there was a surge in hateful content. Mm. As if Twitter had just been this beautiful, wonderful, peaceful place where nothing went wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's always been a bit of a cesspit, but that's Twitter, right? Yeah. That's just that's the nature it. of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what keeps you coming back. We, can't, we just can't quit Twitter. We can't quit Twitter. And half the people who said they were going to quit it never could anyway. Mm. But, you know, what I think this also shows with this interview as well is possibly that James Clayton, the BBC reporter, is in echo chambers himself. Mm. I mean, he just takes it as a given that Twitter's become more hateful under Elon Musk. He, can't, he hasn't interrogated his own position yeah. in any way. He's turned up to the interview. He thinks he can just spew all this out, Elon Musk, and Elon Musk will take it. But Elon Musk, I mean, this is a guy who's probably used to having very, very tough conversations all the time. I mean, he's someone who will be questioned by VCs and people he deals with in business. I mean, he's a very, very clear thinker. And he kind of exposed James Clayton. And I mean, you can kind of feel sorry for him. But at the same time, I mean, this attitude that he espouses has led to such a crackdown on free speech. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everything's hateful. Everything's misinformation. Everything's disinformation. And therefore, you can just censor speech as much as you don't like. And what I liked that Elon Musk said to him, it was a very simple point, but a, a very effective one. Is it hateful or you just don't like it? Yeah. And I think that's such a key distinction because a lot of the time that is it. I don't like it, therefore it's Hitler. And I don't mean to be facetious, but I think that is something we've all noticed. Mm. Definitely. Tom, what have you made of it? I thought it was really revealing. I felt like it was kind of the spiritual successor to the Kathy Newman, Jordan Peterson mm. interview in which you had the corporate media just kind of exposing itself as not only incredibly intolerant, but also really incompetent at the yeah. same time. Like They don't even really understand the position that they're arguing against because they are in an echo chamber because they are just kind of regurgitating received wisdom on freedom of speech or hate speech or whatever. I thought that that moment where he was asked to say, you know, 
what essentially what is hate speech? What what are these examples? He couldn't really define it. He couldn't. Mm. He didn't have an example primed was one thing, but also he kind of was running into that problem that if you thought about this question for five minutes, you would obviously run into, which is that who defines what hate speech is? Is it just what you don't like? Is it just things that upset you? Yeah. Um. This is it's the it's because of that question, which is why it's a terrible idea to allow the state or big tech or any powerful entity to define what hate speech is and then clamp down upon it because it is so utterly subjective. So watching, again, a kind of journalist who, whether he was knowing what this is what he was doing or not, was kind of just pushing a narrative yeah. constantly. And I think it's particularly striking when it's the BBC because of the fact that not just this gentleman, but also our favourite Marianne Spring, the yeah. disinformation and social media correspondent, um, have been really leading the charge, I think, for this campaign for censorship on social media, particularly since Elon Musk took over. And that's one thing we might get into is that even before this episode, I mean, the story of the last few years has really been the legacy media or the BBC or the corporate press or whatever demanding that social media, this kind of upstart new mm. information sphere, clamp down on all the rest of us. And I think in a way that was an, this interview was another chapter in that. It was just a particularly humiliating one for that, <laughs> for that side, you know. Definitely. I mean, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the reaction to Musk because, you know, it's not... Twitter isn't completely free, as as he suggested in this interview. There's still moderation, but it, obviously some people have been unbanned. Um, there's a bit more license as to what you can say. You can now call a transgender woman a he. Thank you very much. What a great liberation that is. So why, you know, there's just been this tiny, tiny, tiny peeling back of the censorship, and yet that has sent people, the likes of the BBC the kind of liberal elites, utterly crazy. It has. What's amazing to me is that what I've noticed, if you are advocating the free speech position, you are seen as utterly suspect. Mm. You know, free speech now is just associated with hate speech. Yeah. You know, you just want to let everyone loose. You just want to let all the demons out of hell. You know, you just want to say horrible things. It's frightening to me the way we have lost that, the way that we have lost that respect for free speech. I mean, Elon Musk went from being a hero to a villain overnight, mm. almost overnight. He was this brilliant businessman, and now he's just the worst man to ever walk the face of the earth. I think that what he's doing is so valuable. I often wonder, though, just personally, because I've got that South African connection, yeah. how much he was influenced by growing up in apartheid South Africa and witnessing censorship. I mean, you would have opened newspapers and seen blacked out words and things like that. I mean, he's experienced heavy duty censorship and i wonder why that's why he's got the position he's got i can only speculate though mm -hmm. and and tom um you know on this question of elon musk i mean clearly it's a positive mm -hmm. clearly things have improved in the direction of free speech but there is always this danger right with you know he's a billionaire um he also is imperfect he has human foibles mm -hmm. he's made mistakes yeah no, That's the problem. No, I think it is. I think this is a point that we've made from the off, which is why I think him taking over Twitter and the kind of cultural significance of that, him as a kind of counter hegemonic figure, like pushing in the other direction, even mm. if it's in a slightly incomplete, brash sort of way, um, has been quite positive. But you do get down to that question of like, do we want free speech on the internet to rely on the whims of which billionaire owns what platform? Yeah. And we're kind of still in that particular mode. It's also fair to say, that when it comes to him being an alleged free speech absolutist, he's made a string of decisions which are a kind of mix of rash decisions, um, slightly uh, self-serving decisions mm. in terms of clampdowns on other platforms, although he claims there's good reason for that, of course, um, as well as what he's, how willfully he's imposing censorship at the behest of certain governments and so on. All of those things are things that you could rightfully pull him up for. 
it was interesting in that interview that James Clayton was almost incapable of doing so because he obviously doesn't really know what freedom of speech is, even yeah. if it slaps him in the face. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. But I, I think to pretend like nothing has really changed gets things a little bit the wrong way around. I think even in the course of that interview, you see how having this argument being put back into the public square yeah. has been really, really positive. And also to suggest that things have kind of basically the same as they were on Twitter. If you think of the scale of the censorship that was going on previously, I remember us at Spikes having to craft tweets and even headlines because they would obviously pull through on tweets and so on around issues like the gender issue yeah. knowing that if we didn't um watch our words that things we could not just have a tweet deleted but we could lose our account or, yeah. like, so much of that has been peeled back the twitter file has been incredibly useful and revealing in terms of moving that particular debate on all of that i think is really very positive and would be ridiculous to just um ignore it i think that the question you keep coming back to is that if you do have a situation where the digital public square, as Elon Musk likes to refer to Twitter, is just owned by an assemblage of billionaires across these different platforms. You are just kind of relying on their kind of benevolent despotism. <laughs> and that's not a good position to be in. And it will continue to bite us, I think, regardless of how much of a good egg we might see as <laughs> particular individual owners are. Definitely. It always pays to be prepared and to really know your stuff, as we've just learned. So whenever I really want to dig deep into a subject, there is no better place to start than Wondrium. A lot of its programs are led by subject matter experts who can deliver hours worth of knowledge on their specialist subjects. As well as that, Wondrium has got some brilliant documentaries. You'll learn just as much, but in a slightly different format. Recently on Wondrium, I've been watching Banned Books, Burned Books, Forbidden Literary Works. The series traces the history of book banning and censorship, all the way from Shakespeare to Harry Potter. So everyone knows Shakespeare is the greatest playwright of all time. All the world's a stage, to be or not to be, is this a dagger I see before me? You get the idea. But not many people know that over a hundred years after Shakespeare's death, Thomas Boulder tried to make the Bard family friendly. He basically cut or censored anything that seemed a bit rude for his new edition. Today we know this practice as boulderizing, as sadly, it's still going on. It's a fascinating story, though, and you should really check it out on Wondrium. You can see how, even as times change, the same desire to remove all offensive material is sadly still with us. Wondrium is my favourite educational platform. It's got documentaries, series, lessons, how-to guides, and more on just about every subject imaginable. I highly recommend signing up for Wondrium. There's a huge selection of videos worth over 8,000 hours, You've got the flexibility to switch to audio only, which is great for learning on the go or when multitasking. And the quality of the content is just superb. The programs are so easy to follow and they're beautifully filmed. So learn about what you love and love learning about with Wondrium. Do what I did and sign up for Wondrium now. And right now, Spiked Podcast listeners and viewers can get two years of Wondrium for the price of one. It's a fantastic deal, but it's only available if you sign up through our special URL. So go to wondrium.com slash spiked, that's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash spiked for more. That's wondrium.com slash spiked. So Dylan Mulvaney, the trans TikTok influencer, has become the face of a number of major brands in the past couple of weeks. He's been endorsed by Bud Light and they produce these rather fetching um, beer cans, custom beer cans with his face on them. And um, perhaps most famously, he's become the face of Nike and he's been doing these nice little TikToks um, in his sports bra and leggings. Um, let's have a quick look at that.
Candice, speaking as a as a, a real woman, uh, how does that make you feel? I mean, Dylan Mulvaney is just weird. I mean, I just have no idea how to take him. I mean, he seems to be parodying himself, but then on the other hand, he's deeply serious because he's had facial feminization surgery, which he must must have paid a fortune for. Mm. I mean, I find it a bit insulting the way he's jumping around like that. There's a part of me that just wants to dismiss it and not pay any attention to it. But actually, as a woman, you have to because we need sportswear and sports clothing that is for female bodies, not a male body, female bodies. Especially after I had two children, my body changed totally. I don't want to see someone who can in no way bear children wearing sports clothes. I mean, I know this <laughs> stuff, I know it sounds ridiculous even to be talking about this stuff, but I think we are in that moment now. Um, he's a very confusing character. I don't know quite what to make of him. You can't ignore it totally though, because this is what happens. He gets all these sponsorship deals and then you have to challenge it, you know? So, oh, <laughs> not a fan. Tom, why, why do they love him so much, the kind of elites? I mean, because it's not just the sponsorship deals. Mm -hmm. He's been to the, to White, the White House, House yep. documenting his uh, days of girlhood. Mm -hmm. That is creepy, isn't it? Girlhood, right? And not even womanhood. You know, exactly. That does I mean, he's made a stream a little bit. videos, one of which was talking about having to use tampons for the first time. Mm. Sponsored by Tampax. Sponsored by Tampax. So there's always a sponsorship deal yeah. working in the background of these videos, these blasts for progress. Um, but that's the thing that I really don't understand because I think if you are a woke corporation or if you're Joe Biden's White House or whatever, and uh, you're very, you know, attached to this gender ideology stuff, Dylan Mulvaney seems to me to be the worst possible spokesperson for that. Yeah. Um, if you want to vindicate a gender critical perspective, which is to say that um, these people are reducing womanhood to a costume, uh, that this is in some sense, mocking what it is to be mm. female. Yes. Um, Dylan Mulvaney, in those TikToks of his, acts that act out to a perfect T. I'm amazed the extent to which he's been venerated, celebrated, put on a particular platform because he seems to me almost almost precision design to yeah. to enrage people and to draw out the obvious contradictions, distortions of this particular debate. And I thought it was so striking that we had this uh, Bud Light and Nike women's controversy around the same time with all the Riley Gaines stuff. So yeah. this, uh, the uh, American swimmer who um, has been speaking at San Francisco State University arguing for women's sports and so on, who gets a response of being shouted down, punched, accosted and so on. Meanwhile, this sort of parody of womanhood, these ads and so on are being celebrated and venerated. I think it really shows you where we're at and why so many people are, are really struggling to understand why no one else sees what they see, mm. which is that this is... is insulting as well as just a complete you know uh, warping of reality effectively i think some people are, are probably going to be more and more shocked by that because the embrace by the elites as, as it were was so total it feels like yeah and, and it's so shallow as well and i think it's of a piece maybe with that james clayton interview with elon musk i don't think this new woke capitalism engages with in these issues in a deep way i don't think they know all the different positions mm. so they venerate Dylan Mulvaney and then there's a bit of a backlash and I'm sure they're surprised by it because I, I think in their minds they honestly think anyone who would be opposed to this is a transphobe and I mean if you're a transphobe who cares about you like someone like JK Rowling mm. for instance and so that's why they end up with these sponsorship de de um, deals and it's the same with Gillette a few years ago with the, that horrible you know anti-men advert that they did and they they honestly do not even contemplate that they are not anything but on the side of right yeah. and good. And that's honestly what they believe. Mm -hmm. And it's like that film, I don't know if you've seen it, The Triangle of Sadness, and it parodies the fashion industry, which will always 
pump out these hashtags saying equality, togetherness. Mm. And the fashion industry is the most shallow industry, the most hierarchical industry in the world. And so I think a lot of that is what's going on. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just deeply unintelligent. I'm ranting, but anyway. <laughs> I did want to pick up on the, the, the Ryder Gaines example a little bit because that does um, seem to show, you know, what happens if you speak out against this? And it's it's not just a normal backlash. It's not just people having an argument, having a debate. It's vicious. It's fierce. It's violent. Yes, I think the trans activist movement have shown themselves to be like this. I mean, there's, well, I think years ago, I mean, even when it was, you know, very small groups of women sort of trying to engage in this is issue and they would picket the events and they would often, it would turn quite violent. Mm. I mean, this is not the first time it was happened. I think it was Kelly J. Keane held a march in Bristol, was it? And someone was filmed just screaming mm. and shouting in women's faces. This is what they are like. That might have been the one where someone was shouting at that baby or shouting at the baby's oh, father. I think yes. Brighton, there's been so many of these. Right, there's so, yeah, yeah. Every time they go on tour, something happens. I yes, it was Brighton where um, someone called the, a dad a fascist. Oh, that's uh, amazing. I mean, when you're shouting baby. at babies, I think <laughs> maybe <laughs> you might have some indication, you know, that not on the good side, but yeah. I think on the on the point about uh, these corporations as well, I think it's interesting because there's always going to be a debate about, you know, if you go woke, do you go broke? There's mm. also, a, I think Constantine from Trigonometry has been making this point a lot on social media this week, is that there's there's clearly an extent to which some of these firms are also weaponizing the fact that these are going to get a lot of outrage and therefore you kind of, even if it, you know, n no publicity is bad publicity and so on, all of that could be playing a role. But I think quite... In, in many respects, these companies have really bought their own bullshit. I think yeah. they really do believe that they have a role to play mm. in terms of pushing forward to, towards some sort of progressive, genderless utopia. Uh, not just on this issue, but on Black Lives Matter. Gillette was another example where when they got a lot of backlash over that um, kind of post-Me Too ad, uh, they effectively said, even if it hurts our profits, we're going to carry on because we believe in this particular campaign. That They really have kind of drank their own cool they bought their own bullshit and i think that's why it's uh, incumbent us to take this quite seriously the reason that so many of these corporations are engaging in tactics which seem almost designed to alienate large swathes of their <laughs> particular market um is not necessarily always cynical i think yeah. in many cases they have this incredibly warped sense of what the world is like but also a warped sense of ordinary people the idea that they constantly need to be hectored to lectured to be make them into nice accepting people they have bought this idea that everyone out there are racist, transphobic, and so on, and need re-educating. Um, and I think we've seen. I think that's why they continue to go down this road, even though it boggles the mind as to why they would go so out of their way to upset people who would otherwise buy their products. Yeah, same with the banks as well. I think Halifax was hectoring its own followers on Twitter. When they <laughs> if you said, disagree with the pronoun, badges, yes, you take yes, your business somewhere yes. else. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's like, you know, back in the day, it used to be all about charming your customers. Mm -hmm. But now, like you say, it's about hectoring them. The it's customer about correcting is always them. racist. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching the Spikes podcast. We'll be back next Friday. If you hit subscribe and click the bell, you'll never miss an episode. And in the meantime, why not check out all of Spikes' other videos and podcasts on this channel? And for more Spiked content, find us at spiked-online.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 